Psalm 84. I know that we left off last week with Psalm uh, 81, but we're skipping over to Psalm 84, which is going to be the main point of where we're going to preach from this morning. And uh, we are going to circle back. Uh, My first point comes from Psalm 82, and my second point from Psalm 83, and my third point is in Psalm 84. Uh, And this is where I want to kind of bring the plane in for a landing this morning when we get to the end of the message. The Bible says in Psalm 84, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even feigneth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength, uh, from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Uh, Brother Ben Long, would you ask God to bless the preaching this morning, please? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. My father always told me growing up, I mean from the time I was real little, he'd say, uh, birds of a feather flock together. I remember it because he'd point out, you know, in the fall when the birds would all start gathering and they'd maybe those big old flocks would be coming through, he'd say, look at them. I'd say, yeah. He'd say, I, they all look alike, don't they? I'd say, yep. And geese would come over and say, look at them. Did you see that in that group? Geese? Yeah, all the geese are together. You know why? Why? Because birds of a feather flock together. I'll never forget at one point, I introduced him to one of my friends. And uh, he came up and he, you know, met the kid. And I was, I knew immediately, like, oh, bro, you are really messing this up. My dad had piercing blue eyes. He's six foot two. Piercing blue eyes. And he's looking down at my buddy, who's about my size. And he's staring at him, and my buddy's like, sup? And my dad said, sup? How you doing, young man? Good. And my dad looked from him, he looked at me. And he walked away. And I thought, I am dead. Circle around later that day, and he said, sup? Uh, what's going on with you, boy? What do you mean, what's going on with me? That's your friend? Uh, uh, something's going on with you. You know what my dad knew? My dad knew something was going on with me because he judged me by who I was hanging out with. Now, you may say that's harsh, but the fact of the matter is, is that you gravitate towards people 
that like the things you like, think the way you think, operates the way you operate, because you got a similar spirit. Mamas all the time will say this, and I've talked to them when their sons wind up in prison, and it's like, oh, he's a good boy, he just got mixed up with the wrong crowd. And I don't ever correct mama, you know what I mean? Like, what's the point in you know, telling her, you know, hey lady, your whole concept of everything is wrong? Maybe, maybe we could have taught mama that when mama was in her 20s or 30s and the little one was little. Would have been a good thing to teach mama back then, but right now I don't see the point in kicking mama in the face. You understand what I'm saying? But the fact of the matter is, is mama, no, no, no. It wasn't his buddies that drug him away. The reason those guys became his buddies is because your little angel was actually a little demon, okay? And that's why that kid gravitated to those people. Those people didn't drag him down. His heart gravitated him toward the kind of people that he wanted to be like the kind of people that he was. So you and I have to be very careful when it comes to this subject. What I want to preach to you on this morning is good company. See, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Be not deceived, evil communications... Corrupt good manners. Did you hear that? Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, you and I are social beings. There's a need within us to have people around us. Even those of you that are more backward, you're more shy, you're an introvert, you kind of prefer to be alone, you still need a family. You still need a friend or two. Everybody instinctively needs people. God created us to be social beings. The problem is when we allow the wrong company into our lives. I want to preach to you this morning on good company. What kind of company do you keep? What kind of company are you gravitating towards? What kind of company should you keep? Think about Lot with me. The Bible says Lot vexed his righteous soul from day to day with the filthy conversation of the men of Sodom. He's sitting down there in Sodom. He's actually sitting in the gates, so he is a leader in Sodom. He was a judge in Sodom. He's sitting there in the gates, an influencer in Sodom. And the Bible says he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their filthy conversation, with their unlawful deeds. It it bothered him to see what he was seeing. It bothered him to fellowship with who he was fellowshipping with him. With It bothered him to watch their lifestyle. (coughs) Excuse me. It bothered him to hear them talking about their weekend and what they did and what they went about. He knew it was all wrong and it was vexing his soul. But the problem with Lot is he didn't get out of there and get away from that kind of company. So when the angel came in and said, we're going to wipe this place out, he goes to his own sons-in-laws and his own daughters and he's trying to get them to come out. His own children, wouldn't they laughed at him thinking he was making fun. They had no respect for him. They didn't recognize him as a man who was the right kind of man. He had a righteous soul. It bothered him to see what was going on, but he kept that company, and as a result, he lost his family. Can I just say, when you're young and you're having fun and you're around the wrong kind of people and you think you're cool and you think you're tough and all the rest of that stuff, it's one thing, but when you watch your little kid grow up, you go visit them in prison, Or you have to look at what they've become and how bad they've ruined their lives. You know what's a shocking fact that Brother Joe Hicks told us? He said the vast majority of the people on the streets down there are born-again Christians. He said the vast majority of them actually were raised like you, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the whole nine yards, in church with Christian mamas and Christian daddies. How in the world did they wind up down there? Let me tell you, it's the company they kept. And they kept the wrong kind of company because they had the wrong kind of heart. You and I need good company. You know what God does, everything God does? Guess what it is? It's good. You go over there in Genesis chapter 1 and you start seeing God begin to work and create and recreate and all the rest of that stuff. And it says he was good. It was good. He saw it. It was good. It was good. It was good. When God does something, it's good. You know what Jesus Christ did? He went about doing what? You know what he said he would build? I'll build my church. You know, if Jesus Christ is the one building the church, it's a good place. Yeah, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that he should walk in them. If you're obsessing yourself with Jesus Christ and seeking Jesus Christ and desiring to know Jesus Christ and desiring to know his word, which we'll talk some more about tonight, 
If you're getting a longing for truth and a longing for God and a longing for the Bible and you really care about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you know what he'll do in your life? He'll build something good. And then if you can get around other people who also love Jesus Christ and are obsessed with Jesus Christ and love their Bible and love God, want to do something for God, you'll be in some good company. And that's exactly what you and I need is good company. What the Lord does is good, but there is a problem. And here's the problem that I want you to get. It's back in Psalm 82. The problem is, yes, there's an almighty God in heaven. And yes, he wants to do great things for you. And yes, if you're born again, he saved your soul through the shed blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the fact of the matter is, is that you have an adversary. And that adversary is called the devil. And the devil does not want to sit back and watch you do something good with your life. So one of the tricks that he uses in his vast arsenal of tricks is to get you hooked up with the wrong company. Are you back in Psalm 82? Look at verse 1. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. You see the small g? How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Now we know as we've been going through the Psalms that Selah gives you a hint that you're near the tribulation period. And we are coming close to just that in Bible prophecy in the world around you. You know, especially as we've been going through the Revelation series, you see the way things are shaping up. We are getting close to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're getting close to the rapture. And as we get closer and closer to the rapture, actually we'll see it when we go through Revelation. Once we get into the tribulation period, the the forces of evil become so exponentially increased on this planet that at one point, as we already saw in a Revelation series, hell gets opened up and these things are coming up out of hell and tormenting people on the earth. So we're talking about a demonic presence that multiplies in the end times. A demonic presence that gets very, very strong. Now, if you stop and go back in your mind to the Gospels, right? When Jesus Christ was here, he's going about doing good, and you see how many devils there were very, very active and aggressive going on in the culture at that time and working on the people. He's casting out devils. The demon Akagadera is just one example. Who had, he said, you know, we legion, for we are many inside this one man. So the Lord always knows how to level the playing field. When Jesus Christ was here walking around working miracles, the the exponential activity of, of the devil and of demonic spirits was also taking place at the same time. When the disciples first go about and they still have the miracle signs and miracle gifts, you see a lot of demonic activity. And then it seems as though things sort of tend to, from what we can see, they seem to somewhat calm down. God levels the playing field, in my opinion. The Lord Jesus Christ is not visibly walking around working miracles right now. He's in you and he's working through you and he's in that word of God and he's present throughout the universe. I mean, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. He's still actively working, but the amount that you and I see of obvious demonic activity seems to be balanced with the amount of obvious miracles God gives. Is that making sense so far? When we get into the tribulation period, you see an exponential rise in demonic activity, but you also have an exponential rise in the obvious miraculous power of God. I mean, we're looking in Revelation 10 at Jesus showing up sometime before the end, appearing to Israel. We'll see it as we go through Revelation. Angels are flying in heaven preaching the everlasting gospel. Moses and Elijah come back and they're preaching. They get killed. They lay in the street for three and three uh, days, I believe it is. And then they stand up again. They were, by then in the hot sun, their bodies are bloated and they stink. And they come back to life and stand up and start preaching. So there's an exponential amount of demonic activity coming in the future. But God levels the playing field. You follow me? What you're dealing with right now is much more subtle. What we're looking at in Psalm 82 is the corruption of the wicked. You see, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. There's a small g. That's not almighty God. That's demonic gods. Keep your finger here in Psalms because we're coming right back in a minute. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please, in your New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. You need good company because of the corruption of the wicked. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse number 1. I mean, I'm sorry, look at verse number 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In whom the God, you see the small g? 
the God of this world. That small g is not God Almighty. See, originally when God created this thing, he set Adam up, excuse me, Lucifer up as the God of the world. He was the king. Not not God Almighty, but he was the boss. He was the king. You know what he didn't like? He didn't like what God gave him. It wasn't enough. I shall ascend into the stars. I shall be like the Most High. I deserve more. This isn't enough. Why didn't you give me more? And Lucifer wanted more than what God had given him. So God drowned the world out. That's why when you go from Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form, void, and darkness is upon the face of the deep. Now you run without form, you run void, and you run darkness all the way through your Bible, and every time that thing shows up as judgment, destruction, and damnation. God created something in Genesis 1-1, and he created it destroyed? Folks, he created it in Genesis 1-1. He set Lucifer up over the thing, and Lucifer, we don't know how long that time period was. And God doesn't tell you. And there's all kinds of guesswork on it. But God doesn't tell you. And then you get all jacked up when some scientist comes and they prove that the earth is older than 6,000 years, thinking they're disproving the Bible. But the problem is the God of this world's duped a lot of the scholars and a lot of the Bible teachers into not studying and believing the Bible that they read. And so they can't refute that stuff. God's always got an answer for all that stuff. By the way, they can't prove it anyways. There's all kinds of problems with all their carbon dating or whatever else they're doing nowadays. They're just guessing. All you know is God said he created it, then he destroyed it, and then you want 6,000 years, you've got to start from Genesis 1-3. And running back to Genesis 1-3, you got 6,000 years. You have no idea how long that first time period was. So you got the God of this world, it was Lucifer. God sunk his ship. Then God put Adam in the garden and said, all right, now you're the king of this earth. Lucifer showed up and said, oh, oh, we ain't going with this. And began working on Adam and he won. God drowns the world out. We'll see it in just a second again in Genesis chapter 6. It's getting kind of deep this morning. I'm sorry about that, but we're just going through here. So I'll try not to lose you. In Genesis chapter 6, God drowned it out again. You ever stop and ask why God told Noah, I will never again destroy the world with water? Why did he have to tell him I'll never again do it? Noah knew that was the second time. You know what he's going to do? Because God does everything in threes. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Sun, moon, and stars. Body, soul, and spirit. You know what he's going to do the next time? We'll see it as we go through Revelation. He's destroying it with fire. But he will destroy this earth year on a thousand years after Jesus Christ returns at the end of the millennial kingdom and give you a new heaven and a new earth where we'll dwell eternally. And there won't be any sin in that one. But for right now, not, not, not nothing that's put up with. It gets ended pretty quick. But for right now, what you're looking at is a God of this world that ain't Jesus Christ. They rejected him. It ain't God the Father. Satan's running the show. And 2 Corinthians 4, 4, whom the God of this world, what does he do? First of all, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know why you need good company, first of all, right here? Because the corruption of the wicked, the devil does not want you to see, know, and understand what it means to be saved. He'll do everything he can to keep you from coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I cannot for the life of me figure out why people are scared of that. You ought to be scared of burning in hell forever. But you sure enough shouldn't be scared of what the Bible's going to tell you. I mean, I know it's going to cut you. I know it's going to tell you you're a sinner. I know it's going to tell you you're worthy of hell. You don't want to hear that? You'd rather find out after you die. Genius, man. I'm just brilliant. Just a brilliant human being that'll say, just, just run from it. That means that God Almighty, when he calls my soul up in front of him, won't put me in hell. I mean, you'd run from that? You lost your marbles. Now, I'm not being mean. I'm, not be, I'm trying to get you to think you lost your marbles, man. Don't run from that thing. It is the devil that tries to keep you from finding out what that book says about your soul and about Jesus Christ. He loves you. You don't have to run from a God that loves you. You ought to run to him. But Satan will blind your eyes so you can't see it and can't understand it. God lays it out so simply in the Bible. It's not even, it's, it's not even, not even difficult for a six-year-old to understand. 
Well, what happens once he can't blind your eyes anymore? What he wants to do is corrupt you. He wants to keep you from falling in love with that Bible in front of you and falling in love with the Savior that died on the cross for you. I'm trying to tell you folks, there's an unseen world going on around you. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Let me show you that one first. And then we're going to go back to the Old Testament. Ephesians chapter 6. There's an unseen world around you once you get saved. There's an unseen world that wants to corrupt you from the simplicity that's in Christ. Wants to corrupt you from the fruit that Jesus Christ wants to produce in your life. Wants to corrupt you from learning how beautiful, wonderful, addictive, interesting, and exciting the Bible is. Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood... That means it's not human. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness, see the plural? The rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. We'll see it as we go through Revelation, but let me just kind of kick it out there to you. You know what's up in outer space? You know why they're so obsessed and infatuated with outer space? There's stuff up there. We're making contact with aliens and all this stuff. Yeah, you are, but it's not the kind of alien you think it is. There's stuff out there. And they're connecting to it. Sure enough. But you ain't supposed to know about it. All you need to know about it is what God said right here. It's up there. And it wanders around up there. And they come down from up there. And they deal and mess around with human beings. Because they're underneath their father, the devil. He's the god of this world. And they're mighty. And they're gods. G-O-D-S. I wish I had the time to run you all the references, but the Bible shows you in the, in the book of Corinthians that when you kneel down and pray to an idol, there's spirits in that thing getting worship out of you. You're praying to an idol doing the sign of the cross. The cross is a curse. And they're cursing themselves, and they bow down and pray to an idol, thinking that it's just, well, it's a, it's a what do they call it, an a, 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 a aid to worship. It ain't an aid to worship. According to the Bible, there's spirits in that thing enjoying the worship that you're doing when you kneel down and pray to it. That's scary. That's interesting because it says in Revelation that the Antichrist comes and gives life to the image of the beast. They're bowing down to a god of wood and stone or whatever the thing is, and when they bow down and pray to it, it comes alive. Well, that's weird, ain't it? Now, he's the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. I'm talking about corruption of the wicked, stuff you don't see, but it's working against you when it comes to your relationship. It's a bad group. It's not good company. And now you've got these lame, and I'd be willing to bet you, I'd be willing to, bet, I'd be willing to bank everything I got on it. These demon-possessed and probably lost preachers telling AI what to preach to the congregation and then going and sitting down with his wife. And the AI gets up there and preaches to the people. And all these people are like, oh, that was so cool. That's as demonic as hell. God never called a piece of technology to preach to people. God calls men to preach. And then God puts men through it and breaks them down and builds them up and breaks them down and builds them up and breaks them down and builds them up and lets them get hurt. It pleased God to bruise his own son. You think God's not going to bruise his servant? And he sits there and he waits to see if those men will wrestle out against flesh and blood, but wrestle against principalities and powers and deal with the pressure that comes and cling to God for it and pour his soul out to help people. God uses men, not technology. It's demonic. And that joker's sitting there while a stupid piece of equipment is giving his people a message on some theme he gives it to give. Well, that stuff's trained. You understand that technology's trained. Mom and dad, talking about wrestling, we're talking about good company. You got little kids? Listen, I realize some of you don't have as much control as you wish you had because of your situation. You understand me? I'm not beating up on you. Do the best you can. You can't, like, because you got some wonderful individual on the other end working against you all the time. I get it. You need to just pray harder and do the best that you can with your situation. Follow me? Now, for those of you that don't have that situation and you're a team and you got your own kids together and all that stuff, you better get a brain. I'm not being mean. I love you. You better get a stinking brain. Because the devil's going after those kids through technology. 
and that stuff is programmed to watch their activity as they walk around some virtual space. Did anybody stop to think about how crazy that is? A hundred years ago, if you showed somebody a video, this is happening live across the country right now, they'd say you're into witchcraft. I have a smartphone. I tune into live services. I, I do. I'm not saying we should become Amish. I'm saying we need to be aware and we need to wake up and we need to be very, very careful. Because that piece of technology is tuned to track you, follow you, and know what you like and you're interested in and then feed you what you want. I am, I am, me, 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 I will, I will, I will. That's demonic. If the devil can get you so stuck in your own will about everything in your life, he's got you. Because as a Christian, it's not about my will, but thine be done. Doesn't matter how I feel. Doesn't matter what I want. Doesn't matter if I like it. Doesn't matter if it's convenient for me. I want God! And that means i got to crucify myself with my affections, my lust, and my will so that God's will can run my life. You're dealing with something supernatural, folks. Go to the book of Jude, please, right before Revelation. I want you to see this. What you have to understand is that there are some demonic beings, some of these gods from Psalm 82, that are chained up. They're not messing with you right now. They're coming out in the trib. But they're not all chained up. In Jude chapter number... uh, (laughs) Say that every time. Excuse me. In Jude 6. Man, you won't believe it. My phone blew up on Thursday, man. It's like, hey, how you feeling? How you feeling? How you feel? I felt great on Thursday. I said, you cotton-picking people must be praying for me like crazy. I mean, God bless you. God hears your prayers. You all quit praying for me on Thursday when I said I was doing good. <clears throat> Friday was not the same, amen? I need your prayers, okay? I'm sick of this. Pun intended. Uh, Jude 6. The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. You see that? Hath he reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Look at Jude 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. They want money. And Cain offered what he wanted to give God his own works instead of what God said to give him. And perished in the gainsaying of Korah. He tried to usurp Moses' authority and do it his own way rather than God's. He rejected what the Bible said, what God had said, rejected the man that God put there, and he thought he was the man, and so he perished. It was an I will. In verse 12, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. They don't have fear of God. Spots in the Bible, that's leprosy. That's a disease. And there's spots in your feasts of charity, in your congregation. They're of old men of renown. They're sneaky. They got a different spirit. Clouds are they without water, carried about a winds. Trees whose fruit withereth, watch this, without fruit, twice dead. Well, you know what the second death is. Damnation. These things are damned. They can't get saved. They're quite twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars. You see the connection to the astrology? Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. They got a spot in hell. But they're not chained right now. They're wandering. Go back to Genesis chapter 6. We're almost done with my first point. Now I'll get through them. Genesis chapter 6. I'm sorry, but you've got to be taught sometimes, and some of this stuff is just more teaching than preaching. We'll preach it, don't worry, but you've got to learn this stuff. Genesis chapter 6, and I think it's even more pertinent in the day and age that you live in to get a hold of this and understand that there's corruption out there you need to be aware of. You don't need to go home and Google Because you don't know what spirit is teaching you. You want to learn about devils and all that kind of demonic stuff from the devil himself? How do you know the source when you're Googling? Why don't you open a King James Bible and run references, lazy? It's 
easier to let somebody look up the, the material for you than it is to look up your own references. But you want to learn it God's way and be safe? Come to church. Open your Bible and run references. Genesis chapter 6. Watch this. Look at verse 1. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. Daughters born to men, right? Pretty clear. That the sons of God... Then your, your shallow, mealy-mouthing, idiotic, dumber-in-a-box-of-rocks, Bible college professors and the rest of them. The guys with brilliant IQs. The guys with degrees behind their name. Men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Those guys. Idiots. Brilliant idiots. Well, you know they're idiots because they don't believe God. They don't believe the Bible. And when they run into something that stretches their imagination a little bit, they just want to reject the truth. Well, that's the godly line of Seth. Hey, when you run the references in a Bible on sons of God, that is anything God creates directly. So in other words, when you're born physically, you're procreation. Mama and daddy fell in love, and had a baby. You were procreated. We're all the sons of God. Hogwash, man. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born, not of the will of a man, nor of the will of flesh, but of God. You became a son of God the day God Almighty personally did something in your soul. He created in you the new man. He brought you from death into life. That was a divine act of God. You became a son of God that day. And all the fallen angels, Lucifer himself included, were sons of God. That's why in Psalm 82 he says, "Ye standeth in the congregation of the mighty, he judges among the gods with a small g. Because he created them. And they rebelled against him and went with Lucifer. The sons of God in Genesis chapter 6, there's no doubt about it if you let the Bible define it. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives all which they chose. What in the world happened? These principalities and powers, this corruption that's around you that you can't see unless you tune into it, was looking at them women going, man, they're beautiful. And them human men like them. I think I want one. Look at the text. God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Watch this. Every word of God is pure, right? We're Bible believers. We don't change it. For that he also is flesh. Them angels he created became flesh and dwelt among you. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only God, Right? The devil copycats everything God does. Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among you to save your soul. So these wicked demonic spirits start saying Jesus Christ was a Mary Magdalene and all that mess. That was built straight out of the exhaust pipes of hell. That wasn't your perfect savior. Those were demonic spirits doing that kind of stuff, coming down, taking on flesh. He took on flesh to die for you, not to use you. They took on flesh to use them women. Now watch this. It's wild. And, I, and I, I think the timing on this is perfect. I've taught this individually to some of you. I've never preached like this on a Sunday morning. But you've been looking at the news and seeing all the weird things they're doing with genetics and all the rest of this stuff. Taking a man and switching him to whatever he wants to be and a woman and all the rest of that. And you're seeing the weirdness of what they're able to accomplish right now. And it's demonic. And it shows you how close you're getting to the coming of Jesus Christ and how much more this is going on. You're watching, you're watching anim, inanimate objects become alive and have personalities. There's a spirit in those things. I told you, was it Wednesday night? I told you about the first call I got from AI. Was it Wednesday night? Some of you weren't here. I, something was weird about the call. Hi, my name is so-and-so. And took off. And I, and I figured it was a normal robocall. You can kind of tell by the voice. So I, I figured, like, how do I figure out if this is AI or not? So I did something totally so far off the realm of anything they could program it to to figure out if it was AI or not. I did something. It didn't know what to do with me. 
So it acts, I just went, I don't have it. And I just started singing and like, you know, like weird stuff to it. And it just rebooted and started over again because it didn't know how to respond to what I was doing. That thing was going to, I started having a conversation with it. And it sounded so much like a normal woman that it was having a conversation with me. And I was like, something ain't right. And so I started getting all wacky on purpose to see what it would do. I'm telling you, folks, something's going on. It's getting you ready for something. Not you. It's getting this world ready for something. But it's nothing new. It's no new thing under the sun. He said, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and they became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Genetic mutations are showing up, and those are giants. That's why when Israel went into the land, they had to wipe out the giants. Because they came in, and they were breeding with women. And you watch vampire stories and don't think nothing of it. Well, how can a demonic spirit breed with a woman? They've got to get human blood from somewhere. I will go way out in left field. You'll be all right. Breathe deep. We're giving you Bible. There's demonic spirits that make these movies that everybody loves so much, they get it all from the Bible. They got to suck blood in order to procreate. You ever notice how wicked those shows are? You're a born-again Christian. You can't watch that stuff because it's so full of all kinds of vile stuff. As a human being in flesh, you can watch that stuff and be holy, not get your mind down in the gutter. All right, go back with me, if you would, please, to Psalm 82. Let's finish up this first point. I'm telling you, there's corruption out there. Look at verse 3. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. Well, the devil won't. He'll get them hooked on drugs. He'll get them strung out. He'll get them hooked on pornography. He'll get them hooked on fornication. He'll get them hooked on liquor. He won't deliver them. He'll wreck them. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. Well, just an application of that. Everything's messed up, folks. Your financial markets are out of course. The foundation's shot. Your home life is shot. Daddies don't know how to be a daddy anymore. I want to stink and rip their heads off, man. I'm so, forgive me for that. I'm sorry. That's so unpastoral. I cannot, I wouldn't slow down long enough to spit on a man that'll walk away from his family. See, a selfish little punk. Well, I just have to, I have one life to live, and you just have to be happy. God wants us to be happy. Grow up, homeboy. You brought him into the world. Now take care of him, you moron. It's out of course, man. Men don't know how to love their wives anymore. Women don't know how to love their husbands. They don't know how to love their children. It's a mess, man. I'm telling you what it is. It's a war that's been waged on you. And the devil's doing a good job of it. Look at verse 6. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. You see it? Watch it. But ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. So those angels that came down and took upon them the form of human beings... And, and had children, God said, if you go from that state to a human state, you will not be able to be allowed to go back. You'll die like a man and you'll be locked in hell like a man until the judgment at the end. Follow me? Okay. That's what that passage is talking about. And what you and I need to understand is they're not all locked up. Some of them are wrestling against you, Ephesians chapter 6 that we read. And they're working in the world you're in. There's corruption out there. You need good company. We keep too much company with this. And not enough company with this. And I believe with all my heart in the end times, God's going to do some great things in the last days of the church. I'm telling you, not everybody's an idiot, folks. Some of these people just don't know. That's all. Some of these kids, you all want to be so hard on all the time. They just don't have a clue. And if they had somebody who loved them and cared about them and had a different spirit from the spirit that's going on in this world, if they felt safe, not like they were going to get picked apart and jumped on and beat up all the time and criticized, they want something more. 
Number two, there's crafty counsel in 83. We're going to bump this and move to the next one because I want to use, I want to spend some time on my last point and get you out of here in time. I'm trying not to preach as long as I usually do. In Psalm 83, he says, Keep not silence, O God, hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult. Now these are human. And they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation. See, it's an Israelite thing. This is talking about your tribulation, that the name of Israel may no more be remembered, may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. So what you've got is not just the corruption of the wicked, but you need good company because there's crafty counsel against God. And that's what's happening among these people. Notice what they do when they are taking crafty counsel against God. They make a tumult. You see that in verse number two? They make a tumult. Hello? (laughs) They always want to keep it stirred up. Listen to me. I don't care if you're a Fox News fan or not. They always want to keep it stirred up. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. And those human beings want that money, boy. And what the crafty counsel of the wicked do to keep you out of good company, they keep you tuned into their station, their channel. They're always worked up about something. They're creating issues. Hey, here it is. You guys know it. Winston Churchill. Never let a good crisis go to waste. You know what that is? That's crafty counsel. You will wreck everybody's lives, turn cities upside down, burn stuff down, turn a husband against a wife, a wife against a hundred, children against parents, parents against children, with all your political shenanigans and garbage to make money. And nowadays, the company everybody's keeping is we're all going to die. I mean, it's just the end of the world. The markets and the this and the jobs and the next disease coming out. <coughs> Pastor coughed and we all can't show up next week because how dare him come to church sick. Because there's something a little bit more important than whether or not you get a little bit of a cough or whether I got one. You've been too tuned into the wrong stuff too long. People have been coughing since human history fell into sin. You'll live. No, you're going to die. You're all going to die. You understand? I mean, we're all going to die. Pray for a rapture. Always keeping it worked up. What about Russia? What about China? I was freaked out about Russia since I was a kid because the preachers were preaching that this is it. I remember. I I used to... You'll like this, Lieutenant King. I'm going to climb up to the top of the hill. I'm going to find me a Russian and make me a kill. I'm going to slit his throat from ear to ear just so you know that we've been here. That was me as a little kid marching around my backyard in my camo stuff with my fake plastic knife, you know. Want to be a Marine? We're going to fight the Russians. I know some of you are so offended right now. I can't believe he said that. Go watch a vampire movie or something. I'm sorry. Do you understand the insanity of that? People getting offended at me saying something like that. And you go home and watch that stuff on TV. You let your kids blow things up and blow people up. But I shouldn't have just said that. Yeah, right. eh, some kind of spirit working on your mind. It ain't working right. Trying to, trying to drive a wedge between me and you over nothing. As a little chant I used to sing when I was a little boy and I wanted to be a Marine. And Russia was coming to get us. And you know what my other little dream was? I remember answering the altar call at Galilean after one of the preachers preached, that probably Dr. Ruckman, but I remember answering the altar call, kneeling down and saying, God, I want to be a missionary smuggling Bibles into communist Russia because they weren't allowed to have Bibles. So I wanted to slit their throats after I gave them a Bible and led them to Christ. I think that was how that played out. I don't know, but my little childhood imaginations. I would dream about sneaking Bibles into Russia and getting away from the, you know, the bad guys and trying to get Bibles to people. Sounded like fun. Always a crisis, always a crisis, always a crisis. And then you wonder why you don't have any peace and joy and you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you see your friends and your family and your neighbors and people you rub shoulders with, there's nothing different about you. There's never a conversation that says, well, has anybody ever showed you what the Bible says about everything that's going on? Nothing about you 
attracts people, in a godly sense, attracts people. Because you're just as worked up as they are because you're keeping the wrong company. Their job is to keep a tumult. Their job is they consult together. They get a group going. They take crafty counsel together. And then watch it. And we're not going to go through it verse by verse, but you got a warning in here because they make a company. Talking about good company this morning. These people that are crafty counselors against God have fallen prey to the corruption of something wicked going on. And what they do in verses 6 through 12 is he runs you through a whole bunch of different people, examples from the Bible of people that would not submit to God. People that did not want the truth. And what he runs you through all those for is to get you to stop and realize and consider what kind of company you're keeping. Because if you happen to have gotten hooked up with Korah, do you know how his end came? Are you sure that's the company you want to be in? If you've gotten yourself hooked up and aligned with some of these Baal worshippers in the text, are you sure that's where you want to be? If you've got yourself hooked up with the the dope crowd, the Bible-correcting crowd, the contemporary crowd, whatever crowd you've hooked yourself up with, listen, there's crafty counsel among them. They want to keep you with them. Because the more that's on their side, the more justified they feel like they've got to be right because everybody agrees with them. And they want you in their side. You sure you want to be there? Got to witness to a 72-year-old doctor this week. Man, it went great. Probably about an hour. And he went out, did all the typical arguments I've heard a hundred times before. Just literally, brilliant man, came up with nothing new. Not one new point. So everything he said, I had no preparation time necessary because we'd just been down this road a million times over because God, for whatever reason, doesn't let me off the hook. He gives me opportunities to witness and I praise him for it. And I said to him, he said, well, what about the Muslims? They believe what they believe just as much as... I know you're solid in your faith. That's pretty obvious. But they believe what they believe just... I said, let me ask you a question, Doc. You're a smart guy. I said, if six billion people believe a lie, does that make it the truth? He went, well... I said, let me ask you a question. Would you trust one man who says a 600-winged angel appeared to him and gave him the truth of all the ages that everybody has to submit to based on one guy's opinion, and that guy turns out to be a murderer, a fornicator, and a pedophile. Hey, genius. He had an eight-year-old wife. I wouldn't trust him. Gladly put a bullet between his eyes, but wouldn't trust him. Yeah, yeah, he tells your boys that if they blow themselves up, they get 70 perpetual virgins in heaven. Appealing to the basis instinct to somebody in order to get him to go sacrifice himself for your cause. If that's the case, blow yourself up, man. Lead like a man. Don't ask anybody that follows you to do something that you aren't willing to do yourself. Stinking leader, aren't you? Yeah, I know, you're a real man. You're going to kill your cousin because he's got a beautiful wife? The litany of women you got ain't enough. You're going to kill him for hers. That's why you drive down downtown Detroit and you look at all these guys walking around in black robes. You go out in the Middle East, you look and see them wearing black. You know why they're wearing black? They're protesting the fact that their prophet did that, killed his cousin. Admitting that he did it, acknowledging the truth of that, and saying we're Muslim but we don't really agree with what our prophet did. Just talking about, they just take crafty counsel. And they got to keep you on their side. Off the Muslim thing, whatever else. They want to keep you on their side because the more they believe it, the more they feel justified like it's got to be right. But let's get to the last point. The company of a church family. Look at verse 1. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord. You know what amiable means? It means lovely. Worthy of love. Having or displaying a friendly or pleasant manner. Folks, you know what Jesus Christ did for you and I when he gave us a local church? He gave us something beautiful. He gave us something lovely. 
He gave us something pleasant. You know what we ought to be willing to fight for? The peace and the pleasantness and the loveliness of a place that is centered around our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, where we can gather together as a family and detach from all that's going on and get a second to take a break from the wrestling match you had all week long and the council that hammers at you 24-7 and sit down and say, man, it is great to open up a Bible and have God give me something that's going to help me, help my family, help me draw closer to Jesus Christ. This is a lovely place. And I'll guarantee you something, there's some corruption out there that wants to corrupt this place. There's counselors out there that want to keep you away from this place. But I'll tell you what we got is the company of a church family, and it's amiable. Notice something else in verse, in chapter 84. He said, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Notice the company of a church family is a, 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 an individual and then individuals who say, I long, I long for God. I, I, I faint for the courts of God. My heart and my flesh cry out for God. Notice the triune being involved in what he's saying. Everything in me wants to get there. Everything in me wants to be around those people. Everything in me wants to sing those songs. Everything in me wants God to speak to me from the Bible. Everything in me desires to be in good company around God's people. I'm not letting the devil drag me out of church. Especially not if I got one where God wants me to be and where God is. He had a longing for it. See, what I'm here to do is stir you up. I'm here to teach you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to comfort you. I'm here to, sorry, reprove, rebuke you, exhort you. All these things are part of what we're doing here. But it's really not the pastor that's doing it. It's what God does in you. This is supposed to give you that recharge to get you through the week so that tomorrow morning you say something got quickened in me. Something got raised up in me. Something got excited in my soul. I want God to speak to me again. He spoke to me yesterday morning in the preaching. But God, if you could speak there, you could speak here in my room, in my prayer closet, on my couch. God, I want the, the presence of God I felt in church. I want it in my life. Longing for the Lord. Longing of the soul. Notice this thing. Keep looking at the passage. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. A sparrow? One sparrow falls to the ground, and God knows it. Are he not much more value than many sparrows? A bird has the sense to make a nest in the house of God. And God says, if that bird's smart enough to make a nest here, I'm not kicking it out. And a bird smart enough to say, I want my babies to be in such a safe, pleasant, strong, healthy, happy, well-fortified, well-watered, well-fed environment. That's where I'm putting my kids. Now, if that means something to God, how much more does it mean about you? No, wow. My grandma Camerata was dying of cancer. You've heard this before, so forgive me for a minute. Grandma Camerata was an absolute sweetheart. She was like four foot nine and three quarters. When you're four foot nine, you take every bit you can get. Four foot nine and three quarters. She had a paddle that hung on the end of the cabinet. It was cardboard handle wrapped in pink um, material with little hearts on it. And then it was a pillow shape of a heart with lace all the way around and in the center, so pink with white hearts, the center was white and it said Grandma's Paddle. And that typified Grandma Camerata. She got sick, man. She got cancer three different times in her life. All she drank was coffee, Pepsi. She ate Snickers bars and Tenmans, do I say that right? Coffee cakes. Uh, That's pretty much it. She thought she was healthy when she had a glass of orange juice, which was filled with sugar. Grandpa was always on her because he was the boxer. He was pretty healthy, you know, meat and potatoes guy, but he was pretty healthy. And So she would hide candy bars in the drawers. He'd go in there and pull out, looking for something. Eva! And there's a big old candy bar hidden underneath the pads for the oven. She's a cutie, man. She's just a sweet thing. 
She was dying. Her hair was falling out of cancer. She wasted away to almost nothing. We got there to the hospital, and I'll never forget it. We were standing in the hallway, and my mom stopped us and said, wait. She's sick as she could be. She's laying in her bed. And you could hear in a real weak voice singing her favorite song. She always used to request it at church. His eye is on the sparrow. She was, <clears throat> she was in pain. She gasped. And I know he watches me. I sing because I'm <laughs> happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Man, what a God. She still died. She died of cancer. But he never left her. I mean, ain't that a way to go? How beautiful. Look at verse 4. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee. <laughs> she, she didn't, when she got saved, she didn't get out of church. Laying on her deathbed, praising him in pain. Who passing through the valley of Baca, excuse me, verse, four, verse 5, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. The ways of that, who? The ways of people that love the tabernacles of God. There's a way they live. There's something about the way you live that's different than the way the world lives. People can't walk you, watch you walk down the road and tell you you're different like a Muslim or a nun. There's something about the way you live your life that shows that you got something real. How, what is it? Look at the next verse. Who passing through the valley of Baca. You go through hard times as a Christian, don't you? Have any of you been horribly disappointed in serving the Lord? Horribly disappointed by life? You know what the people that love God and have good company and are good company do? When they hit those points, the valley of Baca, they make it a well. They draw nourishment out of it. And what God does when they do, the rain also filleth the pools. Even the bad things that happen to you when you are good company and stay in good company, you turn those bad things that happen to you into a blessing. Because that's what God alone can do in your life. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them is in Zion, appeareth before God. Every one of them says, God's what I want, God's what I'm looking for. And they're regularly in prayer. You got praise, you got prayer, you got pain turned into a blessing. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. Those people got the protection of God. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. One day in church is better than a thousand days in the bar. One day in church is better than a thousand days at the rock concert. One day in church is better than a thousand days of drunkenness or dope. One day in church is better than a thousand days in prison. Think about it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God, of my God, than to dwell in the tents of, the, of wickedness. Just to be the guy that stands there and says, hi, good morning, come on in, good to see you, shut the door. It's just better to be around good company and these good people that are, they're not perfect. But they're here because they want God. And just to hold the door open for them and say, come on in. Just to clean their toilets. Just to run a vacuum for them. Just to watch their kids in the nursery. I didn't even get to sit in the preaching. Yeah, I know. That's one of the best places to prove that you are truly a servant. Sorry, ladies. The nurseries are growing and we still need help. <laughs> I believe how many kids are down there now. It's just, I'd rather just be here and just be a part than to dwell in the tents of wickedness, hanging out, lounging around, getting smashed and hammered, one of the guys, the life of the party. Give me one, give me one day just holding the door open for God's people than a thousand days of that stuff. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth. In thee. That's good company. I'm asking you this morning, what kind of company are you to other people? What kind of company do you want to be around on? 
I see what company you're with on Sunday morning, but what kind of company are you with on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? I'm telling you, there's something out there working against you to keep you from being a part of good company. And there's plenty of people out there that take crafty counsel and discourage you from it. But God set up a place where you can come and draw closer to Jesus Christ, but you have to have a longing for it. Do you long for him this morning? Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as the pianist comes. The altar is open. I want to give you an opportunity if the Lord's dealt with you at all this morning.